From the start, we really worked on the digital presence all the way back to 2007. We made sure that we had a website that really could produce content on a regular basis. And by that, I mean on a weekly basis. Really use everything that comes out of the, the, the center, publication and reports, etc., and create news articles on these, promote their work, promote the researchers behind these things and share that content. 2007, you know, that was slightly early days for social media, as we, as we said, but there were other ways. And just we, we just had a very creative approach to everything that we did. And we still have that, you know, to, you know, make short videos. And, you know, the videos that we did, some of the videos were awful. You can go back to it now. And then we just, my God, did we actually send out this? But we did it. We got to start somewhere. Welcome to episode 42 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Today it's about building brand and building reach with Sterle Simonsen, who is the head of communications at the Stockholm Resilience Center. And this is a reflection of you because Sterle is actually leaving the center. But for the ones who don't really know the Stockholm Resilience Center, it's one of the best renowned centers for sustainability research on the planet. And that's why I'm really happy to have Sterle join us. And we're going to talk in this podcast about how the people or how he and his team communicated science and how they built brand at the Stockholm Resilience Center, what trends he sees in science communication altogether, what he would have likely done differently if we would live in a perfect world. So a bit of reflection about um, his work at the Stockholm Resilience Center. And obviously we also talk a little bit about why he's leaving now, where is he leaving, where he's leaving now. Spoiler, he's going to stay in research and science communication. And in the end, we also talk about a little bit yeah, more tactical, what are actually key questions that each research institute actually needs to answer for itself um, to then be able to communicate their science effectively. This interview got a little bit longer. It is a bit more chill than, I guess, many other interviews that are on this podcast, but I think it is very, very insightful and I had a lot of fun, but also joy talking to Sterling. So I hope you enjoy it as well. Let's get into it. See you on the other side. <laughs> Welcome to episode 42 of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Today it's on building brand and building reach. And it's a leaving and reflection interview with Sterle Simonsen, who is the leaving head of communication at the Stockholm Resilience Center. Welcome to the podcast, uh, Sterle. Thank you so much, Julius. Thank you so much. Sterle, real, real jump in and we'll have a look at what, what did you guys do at the Stockholm Resilience Center? What did you do well? Where could you, where would you think you would might You might be doing this differently in the future if you had this chance to do this again. But before we dive into that, and I think it's really amazing to actually have you here and with so much experience, can you give us an idea who you are? What made you the person that you are today? All right. So I'm going to have to attribute a lot of that to my mom, as everybody should. But, um, <laughs> but I think I'm going back to a certain frustration period when I was about I think 19 and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life and was sitting in my hometown back in Norway Bergen and was quite close to starting on a bachelor's degree at the University of Bergen I'm not going to mention or rather say what it was but probably some oil related geo <laughs> <laughs> it was not it was something to do with administration and it somewhat was a huge sort of call it a compromise of just getting to no idea what I wanted to do. And 
I just had to do something I felt just you know kind of kick off my university uh, career if you want to call it that uh, and then my mom comes in and say she found this this ad this this ad in the newspaper about a course in media media and communication basically it was a distance course anyway that course was brilliant and it just opened up so many uh, well, it just inspired me so much in terms of, well, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to work with communications and work with media. Uh, and, and and from there, I, I actually picked up on a one somewhat dream that I had, or even if I can be so bold to say ambition, which was to work, to study abroad. I had this vision that by the end of my 20s, I would lie in a hammock with, you know, like everybody else with two, two kids and a Labrador in a station wagon. But at least I had gone abroad and did something out of the ordinary for a Norwegian. I'm being a bit uh, bold now. Um, but anyway, so that that cause in media, uh, media uh, led me to apply for a, a media cause in London at Brunel University. Uh, and I kind of never looked back, really, uh, which that, that led me to uh, doing different work placements in Italy and I uh, 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 did a master's in Swiss, Switzerland, in Lugano. And now I'm in Stockholm, where I've been over the past 15 years. So the ambition to lie in a hammock in Bergen by the age of 30 really didn't have materialize at all. That hammock is, if anything, in Stockholm now. <laughs> well, maybe you're one of these people that can actually not really lay in a hammock. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Perhaps too. You know, maybe that's one also part of the reason. So, so now you've been working for over a decade at the Stockholm Resilience Center, as you as you just mentioned. So, um, what brought you there, and what is that really? So, um, the the Stockholm Resilience Center uh, was launched officially back in 2007. And it was then in a collaboration with uh, the Stockholm Environment Institute. Uh, I had I saw, I saw the opportunity to to move to Stockholm and, and and actually to get this job, and I thought that was hugely exciting. So uh, that brought me here. I always wanted to work. Uh, I wanted to work with something that makes sense, something that gives me something of a purpose. Uh, and I've. I don't necessarily work within a sort of a corporate uh, area. Um, with all due respect, I didn't want to sort of sell just vacuum cleaners and be happy with that. I wanted to. How come? Of... How come you wouldn't be happy? How come you would be happy with that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I just, I just felt that I wanted to really work with something that ex exactly can contribute to something better in life or in the world. Uh, and and then obviously this opportunity came up, and uh, yes, I got it. Uh, yeah, and, and in the beginning, you were actually doing joint work, isn't it? Like you were working at the Stockholm Resilience Center and also, as you just mentioned, at the Stockholm in Environment Institute. So you died. You did not start as the head of communications right away, but you you started as what I see a joint web editor. Correct. Yes, indeed. So we combined that role into a, a sort of rather yeah, we split those tasks into one role where I was head of I was a web editor for Stockholm Environment Institute, SEI and the uh, Stockholm Resilience Center, which we can call SRC. Um, mm. That is a difficult task. You know, everybody who, anyone who works with a sort of a 50-50 or any kind of split uh, work task that knows that that is a difficult thing to do in the long run. And that was the case for myself as well. So after a few years, 
I moved to a full-time position at the SLC. Uh, and then uh, a few years later on, that I, I took over then the, the job as, as uh, head of comms. Cool, cool. So, so when we think about the Stockholm Resilience Center, what what should we think about it? Like, what are, what is what is their aim? What is their why? All right. So, I think I think what we're really trying to do here is to produce really cutting edge science, sustainability science, a sustainability science center. This so cutting edge science that really has a purpose and value for the world that we live in to really work across disciplines and even sectors in, 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 in society. So we're not just producing the science for the sake of science, we're actually doing it to make sure that it can be used and applied uh, on various levels within science, uh, sorry, business policy and practice. And then someone in the midst of that, there's communication. And really from the start of it all, there was a, there was a really, uh, The intention was to really make sure that outreach and communication is part of what this center is all about. Yeah, like, uh, and that enthusiasm, if I can just that is has lingered as has remained over these years, which which makes it a hugely exciting place to be. Actually, yeah. Just for context, for the ones who may, uh, the one you people listening in the audience here right now, um, the ones who don't know really about Stockholm Resilience Center is that. Uh, one of the key ideas that they pushed or that you guys pushed is is this this planetary boundary concept for, with or from Johan Rockström developed, who used to be, I think, the head of Stockholm Resilience Center. Now he's at PA Pick in, in Potsdam. And I think this is one of the this is one of the guiding ideas or concepts that currently um, is uh, is used very much and very often in, in, in the policy space in order to say we need these kind of new policies because we're using too much of our planet. We, we're crossing the planet boundaries too often too early in the year um, so I think that just in itself that one I would think is is the biggest thing that came out of the Stockholm Resilience Center in terms of communication but also in terms of in terms of, of content um, yeah. do, do you see that is, is that a good thing or do you think or you should have pushed even other topics way forward or was that kind of your masterpiece as as the center but also maybe as your work as communications head I think obviously that was a huge, both from a communications point of view and, and from a science point of view, that, that is uh, a, a very much a big part of what we are associated with, no doubt. Um, and we, we sort of knew that this would happen. It's interesting, I remember Yuan Roxton came to us back in in late 2008, I think, and he said to us, this is going to be huge. And indeed he was right. And yes, still to the day, people are asking us for the illustrations and the work behind the planetary boundaries framework. And it is in continuous um, development uh, on the individual boundaries and, and the work around it. So it really follows us still over all these, after all these years. And it's definitely a sort of a, uh, it, we're definitely closely associated with, with that framework indeed. Um, Other things, I think, I think what we really managed to do is again this connection with 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 other parts of society, if I can put it that general, you know, the the business part of the world and the, and the policy and the practice part of the world. I think that goes beyond the planetary boundaries framework. Actually, we are working with companies to to help them uh, sort of get on track to something more sustainable. 
and and we we work in a way which I think as well is is inspirational for other institutions of of our of our kind. So I think how did you manage that? Like, how, did these institutions come or these organizations come to you because you're doing this work, or did you communicate it the work well and then you build brand and then they realized oh. Stockholm Resilience Center could be a good partner in our journey. I think uh, a bit of everything, really, because we have, I mean, everything that we do is based on the science that we do. That is our mantra. There's nothing we can do. We'll never deviate, deviate from that because, you know, scientific integrity is fundamental to everything we do. Um, but but our researchers are really keen on making sure that we can apply this their in, these insights beyond the science in itself and with that comes the uh, both the ability and the the willingness to operate in, in networks far beyond their own sort of bubbles uh, and to really engage then on different and different sectors and i think that has helped us a lot over the years to really uh, establish ourselves in different areas absolutely someone like Ewan rockstrom uh, who has been fundamental in, in our development since the bit since the day one to just somewhat literally spread the word here because he's been all over the place and he's fantastic in his own capacity but that doesn't take away the fact that we have so many other capacities that can help that help develop other things that we've done and that we are doing today so on that on that work on that networking on that really expanding uh expansive i can put it that way Uh, way of doing science that's where this communications part comes in as well that we can really help to amplify that work in what we hope is a comprehensible and inspiring and uh, you know accessible way hmm. uh, you know when you run around in, use, in universities research organizations researchers including me you know i'm also a researcher we always say we don't have time for that um so so how do you how did you guys organize that so is it is it the researchers who then interact really with policymakers with uh, you know industry and all these or is it do you have other people who are kind of working as intermediaries how how did you structure that or did you support the researchers so well that they only had to go there and do their thing and then they were out again and everything else was taken care of by the comms department or by any other department at at the SRC. Yeah, no, it's not that sectoral if if you want. It's it's very much down to the researchers themselves and their engagements in different areas. So I would say that it's it's not a translation or transfer of insights just from one part to another within an organization. This is definitely more an engagement that is coming from the researchers themselves. From the start, this this was supposed to be and this is a transdisciplinary place. Uh, interdisciplinary, if you want to answer that one, uh, and and that that follows us through the whole way here uh, to really engage on different levels in a way that maybe others don't do all the time, at least. Mm. So yes, th it goes down back to the researchers. Mm. Do you think it's a self-selection bias so that people who are interested in doing inter, inter transdisciplinary work and want to talk about it, like to have impact, are they drawn to the SRC? Or is it that that place creates an atmosphere where any researcher who would come kind of sees what potential it has to be more outspoken and like that, the place kind of gets people to be more out there? Yeah, I think it's I think it's both. You need to you need to want that yourself, and this place somewhat facilitates to encourage that encourage that kind of approach as well. So 
again, the combination here is 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 probably mm. uh, the best way to explain it. There's really that enthusiasm and determination to to work collaboration. That collaboration is key here, and everything that we do. Mm. When when we come back to this this concept, you know, of planetary boundaries, one more time, and you you said it was 2007, so that's almost 15 years ago, like around 15. 2009, years. 2009. 2009. Okay, well, that's mm -hmm. 13 years ago. What were your steps when thinking about how to? I'm not sure I want to use this word promote it, but yeah, maybe yeah, like how to make it available, how to make it, you know, that it that it can be seen. So think about maybe back in 2009. What what were the steps that you talked about, discussed, that you agreed about in order to get this? This, this idea, this concept out? I think the planetary boundaries framework really struck a chord or hit a nerve in a sense that it somewhat so brilliantly explained and visualized the state of the world in a sense from a sustainability point of view, where we are and where we shouldn't go. Uh, and, and that made it, consequently, that made it very mm. easy to communicate, uh, to, to actually come up with something that I, from a scientific point of view that wasn't too complicated to actually take in. It's a, it's quite a pedagogical tool if, if you want uh, to show something. And this is our, these are our, our boundaries. If you stay within them, you're all right. If you go beyond them, well, then you've got a problem. That is comprehensible, understandable for pretty much everybody. Uh, and and it, 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 it just became a very, very easy thing to communicate and be picked up in so many different contexts really whether it's in within science where obviously it was scrutinized um, but even within uh, again business for instance you know how are we how can we operate within boundaries and 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 uh, governance as well you know how can all the way up to countries and, and these things how can we stay within certain boundaries so it just kind of grew uh exponentially as this this came out uh, and in a way that really made it very very uh, well somewhat very easy to 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 help out with the outreach part of it mm. and then again you have a, a very solid team of researchers behind this you had 28 uh, leading researchers within sustainability science uh, doing this work you had someone and you have someone like you want rockstone who again could somewhat be the The spokesperson for it and that that again just creates that energy around it that you need for it to to really have an impact yeah and i guess if you you know in the beginning you said it, it hit a nerve if yeah. it hit if, if if you're good at communicating it and it hits a nerve and it's yeah. kind of easy to understand it i think these are really good ingredients isn't it exactly. but but coming back to like tactics how like if you have such a and it doesn't need to be planetary boundaries like you know you could also take just other ex uh, examples from the last 10 15 years um w where is your where was your 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 leverage points and how you can support that these concepts go out because what i hear is that and all you know i i, I had the opportunity to talk to charlotte um ballard and she was here on the podcast as well what she said is like that you guys at ladies obviously gals and guys were really successful also in building brand online yeah with social media on linkedin and all these things can you maybe walk us through a little bit of like what what, what how do you use what instruments do you use and how do you use it in a way to create visibility for your scientific content but also to create brand and build brand for the institute so 
two things then. One thing which I, again, coming back to is in terms of leverage is to really uh, tap into for plantar balance. Let's use that as an example, at least as a start, is that we really, obviously that was a collaboration, whether it's an international collaboration. So you tap into those networks and you really make sure that the message is amplified through those networks. Those networks consist of other universities, i.e. their own respective channels, etc., etc. So you can think of how that sort of rings in the ocean, how that can actually be magnified. Um, 2009 was somewhat to the very beginning when, when people started looking at, you know, using Facebook. I didn't actually remember exactly when Facebook kicked off properly but yeah i think it was started 2004 2005 but it took one two three four years until it was in europe yeah yeah and then obviously being somewhat used for the value of 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 um, promoting organizations on different levels on companies etc but um i actually let you in on a somewhat of a secret i i was completely reluctant to uh, dip into twitter at the at the beginning I have always had a skepticism of Twitter, uh, you know, like 140 characters. What, what are you going to talk about in, in that short amount of time um, and space? But anyway, we did it and we've just really made sure that it's it, it's used in an increasingly more consistent way uh, and to really build networks and, 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 and followers within all the channels that we're in uh, all the time. Um, and today, it's just at the very core of how we communicate our somewhat daily work. And that comes back to, obviously, frequency as well. You know, make sure that you're consistent and you're frequent, that you stay in in, in, in people's um, realm of attention in a way that they, they always find uh, interesting. So we build everything that we do is based on the science that we do. And every, how we do it is always we always try to make it comprehensible, accessible and inspirational. And if we yeah. can, if we can kind of do all that, I think we're doing well. Mm. And now you have, I just checked on Twitter. There's about thirty four, thirty five thousand um, fo followers. When 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 I talk to how to use Twitter, it's very often comes also down on on, on, on commenting back or mm. uh, like there's so many research organizations that just see it as if it's still a one way tool. Mm -hmm. um, so you just post something and then that's it. Um, but if you look at influencers all around the globe, then it's that they build community by answering on every single comment. Is that how did you do this? Did you do that? Is that you like I always tell my clients, you got to do this, <laughs> but let me know, is it possible without it? Or did, was that part of your work to build community by by answering to to any types of comments that you were actually getting? Uh, we didn't have that opportunity, no. And mm. I, but that wasn't down to willingness. That was more down to resources, really. It's it's it requires something of a well. It, it requires a dedication that we in the beginning didn't have. Then we've had uh, I've had colleagues who have been work more dedicated on social media. Charlotte Ballard was was one of them, and she did a fantastic job uh, during her time with us, for instance. Um, but it is. Yes, the more engagement, obviously, the, the, the better, I would say. But it's also, you know, uh, I think it's also about not using... Twitter is, is more effective as a, where you, if you are an individual rather than an organization. So, uh, and, and I think if we can, again, amplify the messages and, and the engagements coming out of our individual researchers and, and work on that and 
uh, yes, then we're in a stronger position as an organization mm. as a whole. When you say that it comes down to 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 to, to supporting people in the network, you know, I guess like, and you say that people work better, for example, on Twitter than than brands actually do or organizations really do. Um, what what were your ways of how you how you support the researchers at the institutes who maybe have channels themselves um, and on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, wherever it is? Is there anything that you do particularly to support them, or are you just having an open ear? And if something if someone needs something, then they can come. Or like, is there how do you organize that? Yeah, no, I mean, a lot of a lot of our researchers who are on say, well, on social media, obviously. On say Twitter, that they are very much uh, self-operating in a sense that they are doing well on their own, uh, and and we, we don't really need to support them much in that. They all, this is also their way of, of of you know working, communicating, and promoting their own work. Mm. So uh, uh, as individual researchers, so yes, we could we can definitely provide training, but some of these are these these colleagues are savvy enough to 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 do it on their you know their own ways, uh, and that has worked pretty well. Um, and then yes, again you 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 have among them you have uh, researchers who are really have really built their own audience in a way that magnifies SRC as an institution. So there's no there's not a there's nothing magic about this, you know, it's, it's, it's somewhat, it's all about both maintaining and developing those interactions that are between me as a communicator and, and the researchers and to make sure that we can support each other uh, throughout the whole thing. And if you are, which might be the closest you get to sort of a, a key correct characteristics here is that, As a researcher yourself, you need to be, you need to appreciate the value of communication. Huh? So if, if you do that, both in terms of appreciating the work that your communications officer colleague might be doing, and as well as you see it yourself as a value to your own work, you've got something good there to start off with. Uh, and that, that will help you, hopefully, to, to make sure that your work is, is being told And it's being picked up by the world around you. Hmm. So it comes back to relationships and, and mutual support in, in in getting the word out, maybe. Mutual support and a mutual interest. Yeah. Uh, when you say it's not magic still, uh, you know, I'm trying to find like why why you why were, was the SRC comparatively more more successful in getting the word out and building brand than, than than other organizations and you just said it's no magic but and you also said there are resources now for example for people who are working more on social media maybe drive us uh, can you get us how, how does how does the communications team look like that mm -hmm. you built over the time like what is what was important when you were hiring people how big is it what do you focus on is it do you still do a lot of pr do you do less of pr and more social media Give us maybe some some ideas there. Like what what is, what are your driving principles? I think um, let me start with this then. I think we we, we really from the start we really worked on uh, the digital presence. I all the way back to two thousand seven, we we made sure that we had a website that really could produce content on a regular basis, and by that I mean on a weekly basis, really 
take, uh, really use everything that comes out of the, uh, the center, publications and, and, and reports, etc., and create news articles on these, promote their work, promote the researchers behind these things, and share that content. All the way, 2007, you know, that was slightly early days for social media, as we, as we said, um, but there were other ways. And, and, and just, we, we just had a very creative approach to everything that we did. And we still have that, you know, to, you know, make short videos, uh, make news articles, um, do a few seminars here and there. And, and, you know, the videos that we, some of the videos were awful. You can go back to it now. And then we just, my God, did we actually send out this? Uh, but we did well, you it. You got to start somewhere. You, you, start you learn, somewhere. and you learn on the way, isn't it? Yeah, and it formed a bit of a sort of a, a confetti of different things that are still somewhat live today. You know, we did. We did a. We had this idea a long way back about. We came across this video. This this guy on on YouTube. He had this video about things with the, the the scariest things you need to know about the world that we're living on something like it sounds awful but he was just basically using a blackboard a whiteboard sorry a whiteboard and a pen to explain uh where the world is heading from a sustainability point of view okay and and that he obviously had well he had a i don't remember how many views but it was a high number and we thought hey cool idea make it simple put someone in front of a whiteboard with a pen Explain to us a, a theory, a concept, an idea, wherever you want. You've got about five minutes, probably a little bit more at the time, because you know our, our time span over the years have have decreased increasingly, or scaringly, I would say, uh, since since uh, social media and everything comes in. But at come the on, time, so I, I get that I get that argument, but I got to jump in there. Do you not watch Netflix series for hours and hours? Don't no, tell me I don't. I don't. I can don't. happily respond to that and say I actually don't. I don't. There's do. so, but there's so many people who do. So <laughs> I, I get this argument. Yeah, we, our time span got so like shorter. We like we have a time span of the squirrel. But then there's people who watch hours and hours of Peaky Blinders. Don't tell me the attention span is low. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> they're just being fed. You know, they're not doing anything active themselves. Yeah, themselves. that's for sure. No, totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that you're reading. That you're reading. Uh, Scientific article for for hours there. No, some some do, but not a lot. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> um, so, so we produced this confetti of things, and we experimented with things. We tried out new things, and then yes, this whiteboard was was one way for us to sort of right. Let's just do this. Let's just give it a try. Put up, set up a camera. Get the researchers in front of that camera, and here you go. And maybe uh, that in itself is an example of the relationship between myself as a communications person and the researcher that the researchers actually thought, Hey, cool idea. Happy to do this. Not everybody would do this. That's okay. Um, and maybe not all institutions would be keen on doing it in the first place. We, we did it, you know, again, the quality was somewhat could vary. And one of the first that we did was with Eleanor Ostrom, uh, uh, she won the Nobel Prize in Economics in, in back in, I believe that was 2009. I apologize if I got that a year wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that one really has a huge number of follow, uh, views still. But it was just done in our communications room in front of a black uh, whiteboard, really basic stuff. But the message was there. Yeah, and she but... had something extremely interesting to tell. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I read some of her work. It's, it's yeah, it's the how to use um, Almende resources, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but how come she she was at the the SR, SRC? Because actually, she, wasn't she based somewhere in the Midwest in the States? Correct. She was uh, uh, part of the board of the SRC at the time. Ah, so. okay. So she came in, visited, and you just said, hey, can you do something with us for us? Make a video? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, but you know that shows initiative still. Yeah. Maybe that 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 maybe is not so much there in other institute. Maybe, you know, you know, still f trying to figure out. Like, but I also like this idea of like creating different types of of content. You you called it confetti, and then maybe to see what sticks and what works and what doesn't, and then you can learn. And then um, in social media, there's this idea of unicorn content. You just look through. Okay, what got a lot of attention? Hmm. Why did it get a lot of attention? Maybe we could do more of that. And yeah. um, I, I, what do you think? Could, could it still be? Not a bad, be a bad idea to just put someone in front of a of a blackboard and let them explain something. And even though the you know the, the, the I guess the the audio should be alright and the concept should be alright, but I but for example there's this uh, YouTube channel from the Institute for Theoretical Physics in Madrid, and they have more like they have six hundred thousand subscribers. So mm. and they do these kind of videos yeah. pretty much only. So yeah. it seems to work. It does work. Yeah, exactly. So I think it doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, And if you again, if you if you work in a place where where creativity and experimentation and trust, trust is a key word here in many ways. Why is it why is it key? Well, it's because if you work in a place where you are trusted to test, as in you allow to you allow to try out things, then there's a, there's a fundamental trust there for you to do that. If they don't trust you, they're not going to let you do it. And and from a scientific or a science comms perspective. The same as here. If the researchers are, don't trust us and, and, and appreciate what we're doing, well, they're not going to be part of it, are they? So that's what we have here. We have a, an excellent trust between communications and the science. We are, they are willing to engage. They're willing to work with us. We don't have to go to them and somewhat sell the ideas. They are usually very much appreciative of the work that we do because they know that usually, hopefully... <laughs> It comes out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. No, maybe maybe that's one of the keys because obviously you know when you have someone that trusts you, and then you can do mistakes and you you try ten things and three don't work, but th and three are mediocre, but two or three really work, and you would have never thought or never done these if if you wouldn't have the license to try out things, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I asked you before still about like hiring and, and, and your team and we didn't really talk about that. Could, could how, how does the, the, the communications team look like uh, as, at the SRC? So it's a relatively sm small team, actually. Uh, it, it consists of myself uh, full time. Uh, we have a couple of more full time positions uh, working on. Uh, the daily, if you want, the daily work of comms, i.e. social media maintenance, uh, producing stories, writing stories and press releases, etc. Uh, and then you have, we have as well others who work a bit closer to different projects who are more, more aligned with making sure that they have their own communications work taken care of. Uh, and then a few different uh, part-time colleagues who work with more specific on, say, press engagement, etc. It's it's an ever-changing consist. Uh, it's an ever-changing group, if you want, in the sense that it's it's as is the science world. You know, it's depending on the funding situation. 
uh, on certain priorities from one day to another or one period to another, perhaps. Uh, but what we really managed to, or rather what has been really great is that uh, there's been that consistency in trying to make sure that we have core activities maintaining and uh, developing core activities such as the website and social media, etc. That's always been there to make sure that's up and running. Mm. Um, so, so, so on average, how, how many people is that? Is that four, five, six full-time people? And then plus uh, some... Full, full-time, I think full-time equivalent makes it four. And then you okay. have a slightly bigger group, seven, I think we are now. Again, changing uh, with part-time. Mm. Yeah. So, mm. in, and in many ways, people listening here might think, oh, that's actually quite a high number for a research center. We're not talking university or large institutions, but for research center. And... Yes, it is. But at the same time, when it, again, going back to the sort of the, the daily work that we do, that's actually done by a small group of people. Yeah. How many people work at, S at the SRC anyways, altogether, like researchers? How many researchers have you guys got? Roughly, we are about, total, we are about 130 people, including admin and everything Admins. else. Yeah. S researchers, I think we are approximately 75 to 80, perhaps. And then you got... PhD students, you also have, uh, but you and then you also have master students as well, but they are not obviously included as employees. No, not understandable. Yeah, Stella, we called this a little bit of a reflection interview. So, um, and we've been talking about a lot of your work in the last years, um, but but now you're leaving the Stockholm Resilience Center, um, and you've been there for quite some time. But what what made you take that decision? I think it's super understandable after so much time to change job, but like, you know, it's like, what, what happened? What, what, yeah. what are you doing? So I, I jokingly say that I, I, I experienced a midlife crisis, um, which isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> Denial though is always the first indication of a crisis. Um, no, but I, true. so I, I think, all right. So I started thinking while back all right so i've been at the SSC for 15 years it's been absolutely 15 absolutely brilliant years i'm 45 now uh i do not see myself in this position until i'm um, say 65 and for myself and for even SSC as well i shouldn't be here as head of comms until i'm 65 uh that's not good for anyone so i went somewhat backwards you know in back again to, to where I am today. And I thought, right, well, if I'm, I am to change, I think I, I should start now mm -hmm. uh, so that I'm not turning into... Uh, a fossil. That fossil, <laughs> yeah. I usually call it old dog. <laughs> that is difficult to learn new tricks. But hey, go with fossil. Uh, uh, I, so, uh, and, and I, I'd really... Uh, I really actually wanted to continue to work within science communication. You know, I, I feel, you know, it has its ups and downs and quirks and everything, like everything else in life. So, but this is... But it has meaning, doesn't it? It, like, it adds, it has meaning, exactly. Mm. So, uh, and, and then this 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 uh, very interesting position came up at the Royal Institute of Technology here in Stockholm, at the School for Electrical Engineering and Computer Science. And I've always had a good eye for KTH, as they're called, KTH, this Royal Institute. Uh, and when this opportunity came up, I thought, all right, here we go. That, this is it. Mm. And it was. So uh, I got the got the job and I'm starting early, 3rd of 
3rd of October, I think it is. Yeah, and this I'm podcast is coming out on the 4th, I think, or like one or two days after after you started. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so people, by now you can't find Sterling at, uh, at SRC anymore, but you find him at, him at KTH. What does KTH stand for? Königliche? Uh, Königliche Tekniska Högskola in Swedish. Yeah. It's like Royal Institute of Technology. Is exactly. In, in, in Stockholm still. Yes, yeah. exactly. If, if you now think back still of like, you know it's like oh it's always easy to say yeah we've done this well and you know it's like you know we built also our reputation while while we talk about our own work but if you be would be a bit critical where do you think could you have done better work or what could you have what trends could you've seen earlier um mm. and i don't want you to you know be nasty to yourself but you know it's like where would you say ah that i, I could have done that better and maybe you know, yeah, maybe let's do this question, then I'll have a next question for the next new job. Sure. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I think we could have probably, in, an, in a perfect world, in a perfect world, we, we could have maybe done a little bit more on, on the press engagement part of things. Uh, we did a lot on, on the digital presence and engagement there, but I think really we... If, if we had the resources and opportunities, maybe we could have been even more so um, proactive and really working a lot more on, on media engagements and getting a message out in different channels and, and the media is there. How could that work? Would that be PR or would that be inviting journalists to the Institute, uh, for, to the center? Like how, how, how would that? Yeah, yeah I mean, not, not PR, I mean, that's, that's, I wouldn't call it I mean, it PR, PR is PR, press but... releases, sorry. That's what I mean Right, okay. Okay, here I had obviously brain fog. PR obviously stands for public relations and not press releases. Anyway, let's continue. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we, we've never, we've never actually, we never produced sort of press releases en masse to to really just send out, you know, spew out everything that mm. we do, but rather to prioritize good relations with good journalists in Sweden and, and abroad, and you know, make sure that we can provide good content for them um and maybe in that sense it would have been in a perfect world be great to do that even more you know because a lot of things are happening and maybe working with the journalists a bit more to get in a dialogue with them and say hey you know what are you looking at what are you looking for what do you want how can we help and Mm -hmm. to do that ever more so connected to major events major things going on in the world on different t- times of the uh, year. I like realizing, okay, what's going to happen in the next six months and then maybe building up to that, how can yeah. we support uh, journalists in, in creating good stories and yeah. maybe with our support. I and and we're doing that a, a lot more now, but mm-hmm. it's a matter of time and resources as well, like everybody else. And we, we maybe not haven't had that, we haven't had that opportunity as much before. Mm. So so that would be, that. that's an, that's an arm sort of of our work that we probably yeah yeah but you know it's like as you said you know in a perfect world and we don't live in a perfect world so it's it's you got to prioritize something with the given resources that you have and then you say ah that could have been nice but you also don't know you know like you know you would have known but okay that's kind of interesting because i feel when i talk to lots of research institutes very often it's like let's make another press release send it out to our 2000 contacts but we don't even know if anything comes back whatsoever but what you describe it looks a bit more like building long-term relationships with people who have reach or who work in the media space and then maybe to really maybe maybe talk to them and like see what their needs are and how they can be supported and then obviously see plant some seeds um topic wise of what what your institute what your center could provide them with and one thing doesn't exclude the other quality doesn't exclude 
quantity. But I think, again, having good contacts and relations help、mm. to make sure that you know you can actually be in a dialogue with the journalist and say, right, we got this. Would it be, this be interesting? Or rather, they coming to us and say, hey, you got anything interesting going on? Yeah. So, I, and just, just somewhat,、uh, if I can just add to that, into the, there, this is not a regret, but again, in that perfect world of things, I'd love to do. I've always had the, somewhat the dream of doing a TV channel. So that should be possible with YouTube or with Twitch. Yes, or... exactly. <laughs>、uh, but to kind of. Take our take us the research insights, all the publications that come out, and kind of turn them into short stories and video stories. It it you know the dream is there, but you know it is obviously very time consuming and we well it was now it's getting easier and easier actually. So in many ways it's possible to do now. But back in time, I I, I had that thought and ideas. Oh, that would be great. You know, have a A website that just has a lot of interesting stories, video stories that could be shared.、Um, so, in hindsight, as they say,、uh, I'd love to do that, and I think if we did it, it would have had a very cool impact. Yeah, probably. But but you know, it's like the world is not over. So, so <laughs> I, I, <laughs> like, if I would pick your brain, Sterling, on on this particular topic, how would you go? A, About that, maybe in your new job, you know, like、mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter. Like I think that can be done for for a variety of topics. So it's it's not just that this would have been a nice idea for Stockholm Resilience Center, but for any other institute. How, how, can I pick your brain? How would you go? How would how would you envision that could look like? And what would be the steps that you would need to take first? It's a very actually easy thing to do, and it's a. Because、uh, today, I mean, it makes me feel old, but. If you think back on a lot of the last fifteen years, you know the, the accessibility of both technology and material and and, and and content is is at a completely different scale than compared to before,、uh, when it requires a lot more technical know-how,、uh, imagery, etc. Was was you know you had to pay for everything and it was very expensive. Now you have content available. That makes it actually quite easy to put together, and you have technology as well. You can put, a,、uh, you know, put your phone. You can film some someone with your phone.、Uh, just get a one-minute statement, and put that together with some nice footage, and and some nice statements, and you got like a, you know, you got a minute and a half video, and that's it. You don't really need more than that, and it could tell you this. This it could be a summary of a paper. It could be a summary of. Or a statement of different sorts, and it's it's all there, and it doesn't require you to go to a TV studio, and and and, and you know it's it's all there, and I, that's that's what I that's what I feel a lot of people could do, but a lot more on. Where would you, you know? do the distribution? You because because you know it's obviously it's networks, social networks have visibility, but you also just mentioned a web page. How would you do distribution? Well, it would be through the website and through the social media channels that we have, and you you build the audience. And you know, you obviously videos and and imagery are visuals are very strong attractors on social media, and we we do a little bit of this as well already now, but on a on a scale that I first dreamt of, we're not doing it.、Uh, but but it's. It's, What you gonna do? <laughs> yeah. So, but it, that that's definitely something we really enjoy doing, and it really adds attraction to our work to kind of tell science in a way that maybe others haven't thought about.
you know yeah and i think t two ingredients there are really key that you also mentioned is like stories it's like it starts with something then there's something happening and then it ends so i think that 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 we are drawn to stories so strongly so why not using that even more and also as you just said visuals in social in in social networks they are a key driver for attention um and i think putting them together i think that that's strong hmm. I, could, i could envision that that's completely strong yeah maybe maybe we'll see something <laughs> maybe in a year I'll, i'll ask you for another one and then you can tell me how how you implemented that yeah uh, <laughs> still looking to your new job now um you know I, i i could think that you know you start a new job that you kind of maybe go back to zero think about okay what could be a, a an adequate uh, strategy obviously you have to take the resources in mind that you that you have available um, but when you think on a broad scale about science communication now what are what are trends that you are seeing And where do you think it would be stupid if research organizations wouldn't tap into them? Mm. Well, I think overall, um, <clears throat> I think probably the biggest trend that I see is that stronger engagement between science and, and, and uh, policy and practice, really. And you can add to that business as well. I think that's, that's really where we should be. Uh, and... Stepping out, that means for, for researchers and I, obviously for, for the research organizations overall to somewhat step out of certain comfort zones as well and, and not to think too much about, you know, oh, no, no, we can't work with business, we can't work with policy because that will affect our integrity. If you're very clear from the, outs, outs, uh, from the start that we are a scientific partner to a collaboration outside of academia, And you set those boundaries and you make sure that the firewalls all the way down to contractual ones, you can actually create really interesting collaborations and get some really interesting results. Uh, we work with, for instance, the 10 biggest seafood companies in the world to make sure that they can get uh, produced strategies that are more work business strategies for their, uh, their work that are more sustainable to get the whole seafood industry onto a more sustainable track. That hasn't been easy. That's, you know, I'm not, my colleagues working on this, you know, done a tremendous amount of work and efforts to get to where we are today. But it requires them to step out of their comfort zones to really meet with these, these business leaders and to even to accept criticism from the academic environment as well, you know, the communities. Um, so that's a trend. Stronger commitment, connection and engagement between science and policy, business, et cetera. Uh, obviously, what we talked about as well, the, the increasing digitalization and visualization of science. Uh, I think that's something that should continue. To tell science in a, in a way that is comprehensible, accessible, and inspiring. You know, you can do that. Science doesn't have to be... Science doesn't have to be dry and boring. Science is incredibly exciting. And... Uh, there's so much to do there. There's so much potential. You know, you could do that. And if you have that trust between the researchers and the communications, per hopefully a creative and enthusiastic communications person, you can really do some cool stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm really hoping that that's something that, you know, I'll see different places as well, because that's what we've got here. And that's really, I'm a really privileged and appreciated that I've been part of this for, for, for that experience. Um, and, and the final one, which trend that I see, which might be slightly connected to sustainability science, is uh, the 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 
presence or the, the, the increasingly the more sort of the engaged, the activist researcher. The researcher stepping out of almost its role as a researcher and saying, hey, we're not doing, we, we need to change our, our, our ways of life here because we are not doing, we're not going on the right track here. So really calling out and adding to the normative aspect, aspect of, of, of our work here. Um, That's really breaking with a lot of academic traditions, isn't it? It's exactly. Like, maybe not, yeah, maybe it's break, you know, I feel when researchers go out and say, we have to do this because of this, then this is one way of how you can communicate. On the other end, you could say, hey, if you as society want to preserve this planet being the basis on which we live, then you have to do that. Then it then then that's more like how academics would maybe 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 frame it or phrase it, and that's I guess it's easier um, for research to also do that because it, then it's not says I think we should do this, but science says yeah. you should do this if if this is what what's what what you policymakers want to want to be doing. But um, it's it's really obviously no, it's obviously at the core is the science behind it, but the messaging is is stronger. You know, and you have researchers yeah. that today they just can't remain silent anymore because they can see things are going in a completely wrong direction, and they want to be part of the uh, the messaging and so saying we need to stop this. This is not for going sure. Right and like Johan Roxim is one of them. Peter Kalmus, Kalman, Kalman, Kalmus is one of them. Yeah, really speaking out really loudly, and I think yeah. it's yeah, it's shoulders to shoulders necessary. with Greta Thunberg and and, and and all the others, and really, yeah. you know. A few weeks back, there was an article, I think, in Nature where, where, where you know, there was actually, where research actually said that civil disobedience can actually be, should actually be part of, or acceptable for, for, for re other researchers to, to, be, to be part of, to mm. make sure that the message comes through. Uh, Super key, because that, like, if you do that, then that's also, since you're stepping out of your researcher, com not, I don't want to say researcher role, but the way how society maybe sees researchers, maybe that even gets you more attention as well, which you then can use to point it towards the topics that you want to um, make society aware of. So basically, yes. Yeah, so the, the, the key message is really that, that scientists actually now acknowledge that civil disobedience can help press and push for necessary climate action. And it's, it's a very interesting uh, step uh, where you actually now say that, yeah, civil disobedience isn't all bad. It actually has an effect which we as scientists, and that's the change, that we as scientists should consider as well in in our own work. Which is... So, so that, yeah. Which which is really interesting because uh, this is really different from, from how researchers and scientists saw the, themselves in their own role over the last decades, if not if not even centuries, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So somewhat literally stepping out the, onto the barricades of things rather than actually being maybe further in the background and just providing the scientific insights. No, that's good that, that we see that in, in the space. Yeah, Stella, we're coming a bit to an end. With your experience, I would love to pick your brain for the last time. And that is like, I would love to give this the community that is listening here right now, maybe one, two, three rather tactical things um, from your Yeah, big experience that you were able to collect over the last yeah, 15, 15, 10 to 15 years. It's like, my question is, what are the like one, two, three key things that every research organization or comms teams in a research organization needs, need to ask themselves and find answers to in order to, to be good science communicators and be good facilitators for science communication in their respective, in their respective space, organization, institute? 
Yeah, so I think the first one is coming back to this this mutual trust. Is there a mutual trust and willingness to to communicate in different ways? Uh, to make sure that you have a creative space, a creative atmosphere where, where you can actually take scientific content and turn it into something exciting. If that willingness and trust is there, then I think you come a long way. Uh, so that, that I think asking that question, is there a, do you trust your own communications work? Do you trust yourself to, to communicate in different ways than pure, if purely and beyond just the pure sort of scientific channels? Uh, I, yeah. Um, and then other ways is, um, well, I think that it's more down to the, the basics of good communication is that are you doing it in the right way? You know, you can test and you can experiment and you try to find your way, but make sure that you are somewhat barking up the right trees uh, as much as possible. That could be using, for example, particular channels yeah. more often or investing more in building, I don't know, audience and community instead of sending out another 200 press don't, releases, this kind of things. Yeah, don't spread yourself thin. If you if you indeed have strengths, then work on your strengths and, or rather focus on your strengths uh, in the channels that you really can make an impact. Uh, and then, you know, exactly, identify those channels, I guess would be the third thing here. How, what channels are you actually good at, you know? What networks do you have that can uh, that can really support your work, your outreach in a way that will have uh, the desired impact? Mm. And if if you could think of like a small research institution, they don't have a lot of resources, and they're, for example, not so good at video making yet. You know, should they should they then would you say say okay, please go there and put in the practice and get the experience and get good at it? Or you just said, you know, don't stretch yourself thin. Don't do that, but be good at the other things that you're good at anyways. What would be your, your advice? I, I think if you have a, a small research institution with limited amount of time and resources and probably a part-time communications person involved, you know, focus on a few things. If that is having doing producing a, a small institutional TV channel because you can do it, then go for it, you know, mm. try it out. And, and, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Uh, but you still need to invest that experimentational time into it. Um, or, uh, well, yes. And then uh, if you have other channels that you have established that are working, well, okay, how can you develop them further? How can you make sure that these channels are still working today as they did five years ago? Uh, but don't don't try to do everything because it's not going to work. Don't don't stretch yourself again too thin. It's it's just not going to work. So focus yeah. on a few good things and then develop them to the max. And I think that that's helpful uh, helpful advice and helpful tactics. Stirle Simonsen, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. All the best for your new job at KTH. Maybe we'll get to see each other at some point. It was really in insightful to talk to you about how you guys did it as at the S SRC. All the best to you for this new uh, endeavor and this new opportunity, a new adventure maybe at KTH. So take take care and good luck to you. Thank you so much, Ulysses. Thank you for having me. 
That's it for this episode of the Science Communication Accelerator podcast. Thanks for staying here until now. I hope you learned a lot from Sterle and that you enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to have you back in two weeks. If you are more interested, then reach out, please, on LinkedIn or Twitter or just shoot me an email to julius at cyclomax.com. And I wish you all the best. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.